Well, good morning, everyone. We are so glad you have tuned in with us and I, and that you're enjoying the service up to this point. And we just pray that God will continue to bless and continue to, to uh, just fill your hearts with his joy this morning. Uh, today, we are going to close out chapter 2 in the book of Acts. We're going to look at the response to Peter's message. So the verses that we're going to focus on will be verse 41 through verse 47 in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. As you're turning there, just as a reminder, the last three messages that I've shared has served as a series that's been built on Peter's first message after he and the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. When Peter, when, within Peter's message, what we what we're able to see is his focus, his focus on the truth of, of what took place when he and the other disciples were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We, we also see within the message his focus on, on the truth of the testimony of God's word. We also noticed in the second message Peter's faith, his faith in the proven Jesus and his faith in the prophecy concerning Jesus. And then last week, we noticed in Peter's message, his testimony, his testimony of scripture and his testimony for salvation. And in Peter's conclusion, he cries out to those who are listening to repent of their sins and to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they would receive the whole, the gift of the, of God, which was, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Today, I, I want us to look in these verses and, and just look at the people's response. As Peter has shared his heart with them, we want to see how they responded. Again, chapter 2 in the book of Acts, verses 41 through 47, the Bible records, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 300 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is God's holy word. Pray with me. God, as we do come before you today, we're in complete dependence upon you. God, we can do nothing without you, and we're calling upon you to just speak to our hearts and help us, God, with to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. Take these broken words that I may share, God, and fix them, form them, fashion them in the hearts of each one who may be listening to where, God, that it's your message that they hear and not mine. And God, we'll give you praise. We'll give you glory and honor for all that's accomplished. 
God, we pray for those who are far from you, who don't know you for the forgiveness of sin, who can't say that they have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray today, God, that you would speak to their hearts and help them. Help them to see their need for a Savior. Help them to see that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And help them to call upon the name of the Lord. For God, we know if they do, you're faithful and just to forgive them of their sins. And cleanse them from all unrighteousness. So God, now we lay this in your hands. And we pray that your will be done. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. As we're thinking about the response to Peter's message, you know, I was reminded growing up, we, we grow accustomed to responding. We respond to our parents when they call out for us, when they ask us questions, or, or when they tell us to do things. We respond to teachers when we are in school. And we, those who played sports, we even respond to our coaches whenever we're, wherever we're at practice or in game situations. And as we get older, I'm learned that we have to respond to employers also. And when we respond, we choose whether we're going to respond positively or negatively. But the truth is both responses will carry a consequence. We have to decide which consequences we're willing to live with. And the, the same goes with responding to the preached word of God. This same goes with when we hear the word of God preached before us, we must respond. And either we respond by faith and receive the word of God or we reject the word of God. And both of these responses carry consequences. So we must choose which consequences we are willing to live with. Well, I, I want us to look for a few moments at the response to Peter's message by his listeners. And what we notice right there in verse 41 is that these listeners responded by faith. The Bible says that the early believers gladly received the word of God. Now we must understand the significance of this. The church is not made up of just people. Instead, the church is made up of people who have responded by faith and who has received and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what defines the church. As a matter of fact, one writer, he, he wrote that this is the basic trait or it's the first trait of the true church. Much, much too often we look at the church as a group of people who agree on a set of ideas. Or some will see the church as a group of people who agree to, to live by a set of rules or principles. And, and others see the church as religion while some make the church into religion by focusing on man's thoughts about church. Instead, I, I want to share with you today that I really don't care what church you go to. Everyone will have, will not have the same set of ideas. Everyone will not live by the same set of rules and principles. And if you belong to a church and you can honestly say that we do, then you need to leave that church because you're involved with the court. 
Folks, we're all flawed. We're all, we all have issues. We, we all have our differences and we see things different. But it's when we take all our flaws and we take all our issues and all our differences and we come together and we agree on the gospel. We agree that Jesus is the only begotten son of God. We agree that, that he lived a sinless life and he gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice for man's sin. That he, he died, he was buried and on the third day he arose from the grave. We, he, he has ascended and is now at the father's right hand making intercession for us if we can agree on the gospel and strive to live our lives in a manner that glorifies God and magnifies Jesus that's when we are becoming or making up the true church of God these early believers they show us that the formation of the church centered on men and women receiving the word of God which is the very revelation of God himself the Bible tells us in John 1 and 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in John 14 he says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth here God revealed himself in Jesus Christ to the disciples and Peter was proclaiming the word and when Peter proclaimed the word he was proclaiming Jesus Christ if you don't believe that just remember what I shared with you in the introduction that his focus was on the truth of what took place when the disciples were indwelled with the Holy Spirit and his focus was on the truth of the testimony of God's word the testimony of Jesus Christ his faith, Peter's faith in his message was on the proven Jesus. His faith was in the, in the prophecies concerning Jesus. His testimony was of the scripture, Jesus Christ, the word, the word made flesh. His testimony was of salvation that only Jesus Christ can provide. Yes, Peter, his whole message was on Jesus Christ. God had spoken through spoken to the world through his only begotten son and the early believers received the word. But let's notice also that when these believers responded by faith, they responded with obedience. The first century believers didn't just hear the word, but they believed and they practiced the word. James 1 and 22, it teaches us that it's not enough for us to be hearers of the word only, but we must also be doers of the word. These first century believers obeyed the word of God and they were baptized. When the believers acknowledged their sin, they repented and they believed upon Jesus Christ. When they confessed their sin and confessed Jesus as their savior, they were saved and in their first opportunity, they gave themselves to baptism. You know, we can't stress this enough. I want to share the importance of this one more time that, that when they were baptized, this was a public event. This was not some casual event. This meant something in the first century. Anyone who, who witnessed someone being baptized, they were witnessing this person saying that no matter what the world says, I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. And for them, for many of them, it cost them their lives. But I want us to also notice in this passage 
that first phrase in verse 41, then those who. You know, what this reminds us of is that that setting was similar to our setting. What I mean is that not everyone who heard Peter's message responded the same way. There were some who responded by rejecting the gospel. Then those who gladly received. Richard Blackaby says that when we hear the gospel message, God reveals himself in that message. And once he reveals himself, then we stand at a crisis of belief. In other words, what Blackaby is stating is that, that we're, when we hear the gospel message, we're at a fork in the road. And when we're at a fork in the road, it calls for a decision. We have to choose which way we're going to go. So in essence, we're at a place where we must decide what we believe about God. Is Jesus? Do we believe that Jesus is God's only begotten son? And if we believe this, then we must decide whether or not we're going to trust him and make him our Lord and Savior. You who have been born again, you who have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do you remember the day that you heard the gospel and you responded? Oh, dear, what a wonderful day that was for you. What a wonderful day that was for your family. But it's probably safe to say that it was easier than what you thought it would be. It's probably safe to say that, that there were no flashing lights when this took place. There were no sounds of rolling thunder. There, there was no circus type performance. It was a moment where you received Jesus by faith. And by faith you responded and received the word of God. Unsaved, I want you, I, I, I want you to know right now, right where you're at, you can respond to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith. And receive him as your Lord and Savior. And you will be added immediately to the universal church of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us here that 3,000 souls responded to the gospel message that Peter preached. And they responded by faith. They received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they followed in obedience and baptism. Why are we talking about baptism being so important? Because baptism is the first thing that we can do in obedience. It's when we tell the world that we belong to Jesus. The Bible teaches us that if we're ashamed of him in front of men, then our father will be ashamed of us when we come into his glory. And I want to tell you the first thing that we need to do is proclaim to the world that Jesus is our savior. We don't only do that with our voice, but we also do it by baptism. And when we do it through baptism, Oh, God is pleased and the people know where you stand. Yes, they responded. The listeners responded by faith. And in them responding by faith, they began to make up the church. And as they made up the church, the church became a unified. They became unified or they were fused together. Now, what does... What did they become unified or fused together in? Well, the Bible tells us here, if you begin looking in verse 42, it lists four things that they were unified in. They, they stood steadfast in, and it's in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, in prayer. Now, remaining steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, what that meant was that 
they were determined not to stray away from the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The apostles' doctrine, it was based on the teachings of Jesus himself and his death, his burial, resurrection, and the apostles' witness of the ascension. Everything that they taught centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything we teach, everything we preach here at Reedy Branch, it must be connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The entire book of the Bible centers on him. And if we are going to preach and teach the truth of the Bible, then we must preach and teach the truth of Jesus. These first century believers remain steadfast in their fellowship. You know, fellowship is a Christian word. And too often we, we actually sell what is socializing for fellowship. But there is a difference. In fellowship, it will center around Jesus Christ. Our conversation will center around him. He will be the topic of discussion. Wanting to, to be in the presence of, of other believers and wanting to learn from other believers will be the motivation or the purpose for coming together. And that was the purpose in the first century. They fellowship one with another. I do. I wonder, do we socialize more than we fellowship? If we do, I wonder why. Because in our times of coming together as born again believers, it should be natural for us to be drawn to talking about the Lord. I, it baffles my mind when people who say that they've had a spiritual encounter with God, that they have met Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. How can they not want to ever talk about Jesus? How can be, they be shy or, or ashamed to talk about Jesus? How can they be afraid to have to be in a discussion about Jesus if they truly had a spiritual encounter with Christ? Oh, if you find yourself as a professing believer, but you're ashamed to talk about Jesus, then maybe you need to truly get saved. Oh, we want to make the altar open. We want you to know that, that being a born-again believer is having Jesus on your heart and on your mind. He may not be the topic of every conversation at work. He may not be the topic of every conversation at home. But we shouldn't be afraid to bring him up. And we should never be afraid to join in as we're talking about our Lord and Savior. He gave everything so that we could have everything. And if we have Jesus, we have everything. Is these first, first century believers, they remained in fellowship, but they also remained steadfast in the breaking of bread. Now, this was not that they come together to eat. That wasn't what this was about. Instead, they came together to absorb, to observe the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians 11, 24 through 25 says, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
The believers had settled that they were not going to forget the price that Jesus paid for their salvation. So they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. Oh, when we come around the Lord's table, I want to tell you, we should never do this lightly. We should be, it should be in the forefront of our mind what Jesus gave up in order for us to be able to participate with him. And the breaking of bread. The early believers also were people who persevered in prayer. They found that it was through prayer that they experienced the most intimate fellowship. It's where they experienced most the presence of God. They realized that if they were going to draw close to God, it would take a strong prayer life. Reverend Chester Chavis shared on one of our trips to our pastor's conferences that you can outgrow your prayer life. In other words, if you want your ministries to grow and to be fruitful, then we must have a prayer life. If we're going to lead anything in the church or for the Lord, then we must have a, a strong prayer life if we're going to see any fruit from that. Psalms 145 and 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him folks because these believers remain steadfast in these things they developed a genuine fear i'm talking about a genuine godly fear what i mean is they drew closer to god and as they drew closer to god they realized who he was and who they were and this fear, this godly fear they had, it, it wasn't that they were afraid of him, but they acknowledged him and his power. Now, I've said it before. Once the Holy Spirit indwells us, he becomes alive within us. We can't get no more of him. He's residing inside of us, but he can get more of us. And if he gets more of us, then we're going to be, we're going to be faithful. We're going to be obedient to the Lord. And because the people, these first century believers, they were remaining obedient and faithful. They desired to have more, to give more of themselves to the Lord. And by giving more of themselves, the Lord was able to put on display through them his power. And I want to tell you, God wants to put on display his power through each and every one of us. But we must remain faithful and we must be obedient to him. Psalm 31 and 19 says, Oh, how great is your goodness that you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. God is willing, wanting, and desiring to do great things through us so that men will know that his son is alive, that he still sits on his throne. But we must put ourselves in a position. We must be steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, steadfast in, 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 in fellowship, steadfast in, in, in the Lord's Supper. We must stay steadfast in prayer before we're going to see God do anything through us. What they done did nothing but bring them closer as a body of believers. So close that they genuinely treated others the way that they wanted to be treated. You know, the Bible tells us to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. They did this. They practiced this. 
They wanted no one to lack for anything. Whatever one had, he wanted others to be able to have. And they were willing to sell their own possessions and to provide for the needs of others. They truly put on display what it meant to be the body of Christ. Someone wrote, someone once wrote, who is rich? A rich person is anyone who has anything beyond what he needs. What Christ demands is that we give all that we are and have to meet the needs of those in desperate need. We are to hold back nothing. Truthfully, I wonder as Christians, do we practice this? If not, why? Why would we not practice this? It's got to be the answer to one of two, one of two questions. Otherwise, we don't have enough faith in the Lord that he will meet our needs and provide for us what we need and also give us some of what we want. Or we're just so selfish that we don't want to give away anything that we feel we've worked hard for. Now, I'm not saying, understand this. I'm not saying that we should sell everything that we have, call all the church members, bring them to one place and divide up the outcome. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we should be willing to give of ourselves when we know that others are in need. You know, to be honest, I believe Christians do sacrifice of themselves to help others. Think about the past two hurricanes. Think about this pandemic that we're presently in. What about all the mission trips churches around the world are, are involved in? I believe here at Reedy Branch that we do sacrifice to help others. And if we want to continue to see the power of God working in our local fellowship of believers, we must remain steadfast and willing to help those within our fellowship and those within our communities that are in need. Because it's when we do, we are responding to the word of God as a unified body of Christ. And as long as we continue to do this while praising God for all his goodness, we'll witness his power on display as he continues to save those who are lost. So, Reedy Branch, I want to encourage you today. Let's remain steadfast. Let's remain unified. Let's be focused together. Let's be fused Together to where we're one body. Striving to be who God would have us to be in this world. For we are a fellowship of believers. Seeking to do the will of God. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why not today respond by receiving Jesus by faith? Why not today Willfully give your life to him and trust him with your life. Wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, I, I promise you, he knows better than you. And he can do more with your life than you could ever do. Would you? Would you today give your life to him?
Oh, if you're willing and ready to give your life to him, why not pray with me? Pray this simple prayer. God, I thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to die for me. God, I believe Jesus is the savior of the world. I believe he he died, he was buried, he resurrected. And he's ascended into your presence by your right hand. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, God, for helping me to respond in faith to your gospel message. Now lead me. As I go throughout this life. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Oh if you've. Prayed this prayer. And you genuinely believed. And you've received Jesus Christ. How about letting us know. Oh there's so many. Opportunities that you have to let us know. Facebook. YouTube. You can text. You can call. Just let us know that you've received Jesus as your savior. And we'll celebrate with you. As, these, as they begin to sing the song of invitation. If you've yet to surrender your life to him. Take this opportunity. As the song is being played. Take this opportunity to, to consider your eternity. If God was to call you today. Where would you spend eternity? I pray that you make things right between you and God. By responding and receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So that when your life on earth is over. That we can spend eternity for, together forever. We love you. We're praying for you. And we pray that God blesses each one of you. God thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. And we're looking forward to what you're going to do. Now bless and touch hearts through the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.